Let's pray. Lord, this sermon is really about what that last song was singing. How we were proclaiming that we wanted to become more aware of your presence in our lives. That song speaks so much to the fact that we can live a life in Christ, but ignoring Christ. And so God, there is a temptation that we all have to become distracted. And Lord, many of us, even now in a worship service, we feel this energy and excitement. And then when we are not here, it's hard for us to bring the worship service with us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would cultivate the kind of disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that would posture us in such a way that we would hunger for you more and more. And so, God, this afternoon, this is a sermon, and we're going to hear a person speak, but man cannot transform the heart of other men. It must be the Spirit of the living God. So, We, as we sing that song, I sing that song to you. Let me become more aware of your presence, even in this sermon, in this message. And I pray, God, that we would feel you near us and hear you near us. And as the word of God is proclaimed, that there would be something powerful about what you have already said. And it would begin to translate into our everyday lives. God, thank you for the uniqueness of a today like today with baptisms. I pray that today would be the beginning of a great relationship with you and it would be continued journey about the way the Holy Spirit is working in people. Now, God, be with us during this time. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Great to have those of you that are here for the baptisms, those of you that are checking us out for the very first time. Really exciting. And so we have our baptism today. Let's give it up for that. It's exciting. Low-key excitement, okay. All right, so we're excited about that. I do want to update you on a few things. Um, First and foremost, if you are new here today, we have been in a series called The War Within. This is the fourth installment in that series. And so if you wanted to go back and check out other parts of that sermon series, we'd welcome you to go to bridgechurchnyc.com. We have installed some podcasting on there. We'd love for you to be able to check it out, and uh, we've put it, we've uh, done some sound checking there to make sure that you guys can hear it a little bit better. We also want to update you with the fact that we have a new series after this series, and this next upcoming series is really about greatness. You know, the Bible actually describes how a man or a woman can be great. It actually, Jesus gives us those pictures and examples, and much of what we learn about in the culture about greatness is about acquiring a great skill. In other words, a lot of us are working hard. Here in New York City, we want to be great actors, great thinkers, great leaders, great lawyers, great businessmen. We want to be great. But far too many of us want to be great at something, but not be great people. And so what the Bible describes is how can we be great people, not just great skills, but great character. And so we are going to lay out what greatness is, but we're going to redefine it and really just take it away from the culture and look at how the scriptures define greatness. I believe That if you apply much of what we are doing in that series to your life, God will use you in ways you could not imagine, all right? And then use you with people in ways you couldn't imagine, all right? Um, uh, Another announcement we want to make is that we are having a new members class, August 23rd. That's always exciting, all right? 
And um, so we ask that you would come. That is two Sundays from now, and that would be after church. All right, two Sundays from now, after church. Now, some of you may not be sure if you want to become a member. You can feel free to talk to myself or one of the elders here, or you could actually come to that time, and it would be a time for you of orientation. We would just be telling you about the church and that life. But we'd hope that you would want to get connected and join our church. So August 23rd is that time. All right, it's time to preach a sermon. Um, So if you have been checking us out for any amount of time, you have probably heard me use the language make disciples or discipleship or disciple. And whenever you hear that terminology, I don't know what you think of, but all we're saying when we say discipleship or disciple is a follower of Christ, someone who has come into a relationship with God. And when we say we want to make disciples, really what we're saying is we want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when you look back in the New Testament and you look at the beginning of the church, the beginning of the church really wasn't about a creed or a doctrine or a denomination. It was really about following Jesus. Jesus was a movement in and of himself. And what blew the Roman Empire away was the fact that this man died and, they, and he, of course he rose again, but they never saw him again, but people were still following this person. And so much of what Christianity started off with wasn't what we believed, but it was really a person. It was following a person and being in relationship with a person. And so the toughest thing about discipling people or helping people grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ is that there is a tendency for us all not to look at Christianity or to look to Christ out of relationship. One of the tendencies we have is to try to relate to God by rule-keeping. And by using the word rule-keeping, I want to use another word, religion. By being very religious in our relationship with God. And so as we work through this series, this last part of this series, I mentioned to you last week we talked about the fact that you must declare your freedom in Christ and you must decide to make those choices to live for Christ. And then you must devote yourself. But I said, you got to be very cautious because when you hear me talk, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to say, man, I just got to become more disciplined. I just got to work harder. I'm not working hard enough. That's why I keep messing up. I need to work harder. And so discipline becomes the energy by which we try to relate to God. And yet discipline is not what Jesus intended to have, a bunch of disciplined people. What he intended to have were people who were in love with him and wanted to relate to him and be in relationship with him. And so our religion is really a relationship. And you've probably heard that before. Somebody on a train or something. It's not about a religion. It's a relationship. You've probably heard something like that. Well, it really is. It really is a relationship. Here's something to frame in your mind. Religion really comes down to a few things. Religion always is saying, this is what you ought to do, okay? You don't do that. And so here are the rules. Here's how to get better. Whether it's praying or fasting or traveling to someplace, here's the steps So that you in your own effort can now relate to God. That's what religion is all about. In fact, a guy named C.S. Lewis, he was a great philosopher at one time. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, he actually combined 
some of the great thoughts of Greeks and the Chinese and Judaism and other great world religions. And he boiled them down to a few different thoughts. And he basically said all religions really are pointing to the idea of don't harm others, don't lie, don't have sex with another person's spouse, and care for those who are weaker. And he says, so if you boil it all down, these are just simple rules that everybody should follow. And so, you know, I have a cousin who, um, he was on American Idol, and, and, you know, he said to me the other day, he says, man, I just love, I just, you know, James, I just love you, man. I just love the fact that you're a pastor. And he's like, but at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, you ain't doing nothing different than Muslims or Jews. It's all the same. It really is about trying to be a good person, right? And that's when the conversation gets awkward, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't, that, that's not what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus wasn't trying to get a bunch of good people. So, so before I preach the rest of that, I'm going to come back to that in a second. So this is what happens. This is real talk. So what happens is people go, well, man, when you look at all these rules, I, some of these rules I don't like. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish my own rules. And so the new movement today are people who say they're spiritual but not religious. And what they're really saying is rather than taking some ancient rules from somewhere else, I can get my own rules. So, so I'm going to take a little bit of Jesus because I like that forgiveness thing. That, brilliant. I'm going to take a little bit of Muhammad because, you know, they're just so devoted. Ramadan, die, word. Oprah, she's smart and she's special. Take a little bit of that. And then we combine it together in order to say, this is what we're basically saying. I can create my own list. Because I feel like I could do a list better than some people from an ancient era. And so, and this is what I want to say. Those people have caught on to something. If it's all about keeping rules, what makes one set of rules different than the other? If religion, if rule keeping is the only way to relate to God, who's to say one set of rules is better than another? But this is something that if I never say anything else, I want you to hear loud and clear from me. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man that was around thousands of years ago and we, and, and we preach is alive right now. And Paul the Apostle, the person that, that penned the book of Romans and Galatians, the, the, the places we're going to read later on today, those two people, loud and clear, they taught something completely different than you being a rule keeper. They had a profoundly different way of thinking that you were going to relate to God. And it did not And it was not based upon your strength, efforts, and rule keeping. It was based upon something profoundly different. In fact, much of what we've read in Romans 7 in this series, it's been Paul saying he couldn't keep the rules. Do you remember what we've been talking about? Uh, Let's put up Romans chapter 7. And this is what Paul ends up saying. And he's really taking this from a standpoint from the time that he was not in a relationship with Christ. Look what he says in Romans chapter 7. And and if you're not a religious person or a spiritual person, you probably still relate to this. He says, I do not do, keyword do, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. 
But what I hate, I do. Have you been there? Praise the Lord. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. So I didn't want to do it because I know that that was a good thing not to do it. But I do it anyway, for I have the desire, verse 18, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Can't do it. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian in here. Doesn't really matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian or if you just follow what your mom told you. You don't do what she says. People have a problem with doing the things that they say they think is right. And that is our, what we said, sin problem. And in verse 24, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. I have a problem. I'm wretched. I can't accomplish the things I know to do. I tell people to do stuff and I don't do it. And he's, so he looks at himself. He says, what a wretched man I am. And so this is the crux right here of understanding that no matter what rules have ever been created by any religion, Paul is saying, I, Paul the apostle is saying, I can't keep rules. I can't keep the religion. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Now, verse 24 is what sets apart Jesus. Don't even use the word Christianity because you might get lost in that. Jesus. Verse 24 is what sets apart Jesus and religion. Verse 24, this is what Paul says. Paul says, who? <laughs> he says, who? Who? will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. He doesn't say what. He doesn't say how. He doesn't say how many steps do I need to take. Maybe I need to go crucify myself. Maybe I need to go to Jerusalem and just do what Jesus did. He doesn't say what or how. He says who. He's saying someone needs to rescue him from himself. I need, to, I need somebody to rescue me. That's why he used the word deliver. <laughs> rescue me. Somebody needs to rescue me from me. And so he says, who will do this? Because my body is subject to death, meaning I, I keep doing things and I feel myself getting further and further from God. So who will rescue me? In verse 25, it's gratitude. He says, verse 25, he says, thank you. Thanks be to God who delivers, delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's that word delivers me. He rescues me. He will deliver me. And the word there is in the, it's in the tense that it's, it keeps happening. He says he delivers me. He's always rescuing me. Now notice Jesus Christ had been dead for 25 years. So who's the person rescuing him? Well, that's the person we're going to talk about today, and it's the Holy Spirit. And that's the person that empowers us to do the things that we know we long to do. And so this is the crux of the matter. Even if you've been journeying with Christ for quite some time now, you could still operate and relate to God via rules. You could be a Christian and still operate that way and, and, and attempt to relate to him that way. And so Paul in Romans chapter 8 will then try to expose the problem with rules in and of itself. He, he shows that the necessary path to understanding God, if it was law, is that is a pathway to failure. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do, 
because it was weakened by the sinful nature God did. You see? So he says, the law is powerless. Why? Because of me. The law can't help me do what I know I ought to do. It's weakened. <laughs> um, have you ever, uh, for those of you that drive, have you ever uh, driven and they have those, you know, they always, there's always a sign that says 30 miles per hour or 40 miles per hour? You ever have one of those signs that like are flashing and telling you how fast you're going? Like as you speed? So it'll say, thir- like th- there's, there's this one thing that says 35 miles per hour, and then it'll tell you exactly what you're doing. So it'll be just flashing 50, 50, 50, 50, <laughs> telling you how fast you're going. Now the fact of the matter is, it does not help you slow down, nor does it speed up. But what it does do is it exposes the fact that you are breaking the rules. You see, all the rules are doing is saying, you remember, you remember that kid in class that always told on people, my daughter Faith is like that, pray for her. <laughs> do you remember that kid that always was like, look, 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 you're doing it. And you, they go and tell, they always tell, they always telling on somebody, they always exposing, they always talking about, that's all, the, that's all the law does. The law is like, look at you, I see you, I see you. That's all the law does. The law is just exposing the fact that you aren't who you say you are. That's all the law does. And its only power is to expose. The law does not have the power to restore. The law doesn't have the power to get you to do anything. But the law will make you aware, oh, oh, I am that bad. That's all the law does. And, that, and that's not just, I'm not just talking about the Bible, I'm talking about any law. What law did you create? What, what were your New Year's um, resolutions? Talk about it. Okay? Any law, any rule. Any kind of rule keeping. You can't keep the rules that you made for yourself. How could you keep the rules that you think you made for God? To relate to God. (laughs) And so Romans 8, so just if you have your Bible or anything, um, am I too loud in this? Is this going up? No? Okay. Um, Just see that word, powerless. It's powerless. It doesn't give you the strength you need. And it's weakened because of you. So Jesus, the Christ, the person who set this whole thing up, actually then explains often, but in this one verse I just want to show you, he explains then how we are to relate to him. Isn't that good? He then gives us, how, do, how should I relate to God? How should I relate to Jesus? Oh, he tells us. John chapter 15, verse 5. He says this. I, here's what you can look to me for. I am the vine. Now, I was going to get like a vine in here and a branch, but y'all know what a vine is. Just work with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Vine. That's me. Branch, that's you. Okay? You get it. You get our relationship. Right. If, conditional, that means you don't have to do this. If you remain, or some of you may have in your Bible, abide, 
Or if you've heard, heard anybody say, make your humble abode, like home, like if you abide in me, if you relate with to me, if you connect to me, stay with me, talk to me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This is profoundly relational. And, he's, and, and, and so right there, it's just remain, abide. Right there, he's saying, if you want to see fruit, if you want to see evidence of the fact that you are growing, the way to do it will not be by doing it on your own. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like the branch, if you broke it off, you cannot just hold it up and say, now fruit, come. That will not happen. It must be in the vine. It must be in the tree in order for the fruit to be produced. And so he was talking to an agricultural community because he understood these people work with vines and branches all day. And that shows you how much Jesus wants us to relate to him. He says, I'll just break it down to this analogy. You see that vine over there? See that branch? Okay, that's me and you, okay? And just stay, stay with me, relate to me, talk to me, abide in me. And so he's saying, that's how we see evidence. That's how we grow. It is by abiding. It's by building a friendship. A friendship. I know that's so hard for us to think. We think God. We think Jesus. We think Sergeant Commander. And yet he even tells us in the scriptures that he's our friend. And so he says, relate to me in that way. And so what Paul picks up on this idea in Galatians chapter 5, and he uses this imagery, the same imagery of fruit. And so if you have your Bibles, you could look there, Galatians chapter 5. You could see it up on the screen as well, Galatians chapter 5. So he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he, he gives this imagery of walking or keeping in step. And later on, we're going to talk about being led by the Spirit. But that's, that's not saying you must do this, you must do that, you must uphold the Ten Commandments. That's not what that's saying. That's saying a person will guide you and lead you as you relate to God. You have a person And that is the Spirit of God. And he says in verse 16, and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh, the things that you so long to do, the things that you hate that you do, but you do anyway. He says if you walk in the Spirit, you won't live out of the flesh. And so you have this guide of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 17, he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh so there they are in a conflict a better word could be war they're in a war with each other but this is the key word so that you are not to do whatever you want 
So the Spirit of God is there as an agent to prevent you from doing the things that you so long to do. And then Paul, I praise God for him because um, he actually lays out in verse 19, he he talks about what the, the acts of the flesh are. We didn't put it up there, but he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And I'll just read some. He says sexual immorality. Um, do I need to break that down? Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, fits of rage, selfish ambition, faction, drunkenness, orgies. He says all these crazy things that we see. He says, look, all those things are things you long to do. And he says that the Spirit of God is there to prevent you and empower you so that you would not do those things that you say you hate. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And he says there's a war going on with the flesh and the Spirit that lives in you. And the Spirit is there as your guide. And so this is the mystery that people don't understand. They say, oh, well, the Spirit, I've never seen Him. Well, when did we see Jesus? We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't seen God. We trust God via the creation. We trust Jesus via salvation. We trust the Spirit for our sanctification, our growth. And so what happens is that the Spirit of God comes inside of us and lives inside of us. And what he'll do is something different than what you've had before. It is this word called conviction. And he will, the root word for conviction is convince. He will convince you of your sin. He will, he, he will help you to see what you're doing you ain't supposed to do. And a believer in Jesus Christ, because the Spirit of God lives inside of them, they will be aware of convicting thoughts. Just by, being, just by having the Word of God in their life, by being around the people of God, you'll be aware of convicting thoughts. Because the Holy Spirit isn't a thought. It's a person living inside of you, responding, reacting. I told the church this a while back. Um, have you ever, I remember when I was growing up, you know, and I, I would watch like a movie I wasn't supposed to be watching. And then my mama would come in the room. And then there was that scene that would come on that made everybody feel awkward. And so I would like try to see if anybody wanted some popcorn or anything. Because it started getting awkward having my mom there watch it with me. Because the presence of another person changes the atmosphere. Just by knowing that they're there changed everything. It was so cool watching by myself. I was like, that's funny. I was like, my mom's, I'm like, why they say that? (laughs) Just by having them there, just by having the person there, and maybe the person is there, but maybe we're not aware. Maybe we're not living aware. I mean, maybe he's always there. And maybe the nudge you have isn't guilt. Maybe it's conviction. That's what I'm saying, though. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty because everybody saying amen is saying amen because they've been there. What I'm saying to you is that the way that you will win the war against temptation is by A, acknowledging the fact that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and is powerful. And then this is why he uses the imagery led by the Spirit. That's submission. That means I will allow you to tell me where to go and what to do. 
And it is living a, what they call a spirit-filled life or a spirit-controlled life where I'm aware of the presence of God in my life. I'm aware of the Spirit in my life. And you know what he says? He says in verse 18, um, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And what he's saying is, as a Christian, you can either live the Spirit-filled life, or you can live a life of rule-keeping and regulations. Just because you're a Christian, and and many of you are, but because we have a natural tendency of rule-keeping, you can start to live and operate with God through that rule-keeping under the law, i.e. making it your master, always having to do what it tells you to do. You're always feeling guilty or ashamed. And and if you live by the law, you're only going to live two ways. You're either going to be very proud, because in your mind you're killing it, or you're going to be very depressed because you're shamed. You're shamed because you know what you do. And so you're constantly moving back and forth between pride and depression because you're under the law. That person say, I see you, I see you. That's how you live all day. And then, and then when you think you're killing it, you're like, yup. And you're taking selfies, spiritual selfies, because you feel like you're doing well. But then when you feel like you're doing bad, you've got to hide it. And you live in the darkness. And you live in shame. And then when we get into groups and we're like, let's open up, you're like, I don't think I'll be opening up. <laughs> think I'm going to keep my sin private. Thank you. Because it's going to screw up your resume. It's going to mess up your spiritual resume. And your spiritual resume is the way that you're able to feel good about yourself. And so that's what we do. We live with this kind of pride that says, so you know, and, so, and, and we tend to talk about the thing that we're killing. So if you're singing, you're like, we need to have more worshipers because you're killing that. Or if you're, if you're a big theology person, you're like, we need to get deep tonight in the word because you're killing that. Or, you know, we need to be about justice and community because you're killing that. And so really the spiritual life is really a big panoramic picture of you and not Jesus. And so the real goal is not to prop ourselves up with what we're good at. The real goal is to admit, even in my goodness, it wasn't me in the first place. He who began a good work in me will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. The only strength I have is coming from the Lord. Are you kidding me? I'm not killing it. He's killing sin in me. But I'm not killing it. I'm not doing anything. And, that's, and, that, and that is what will make you more of a humble person. How many Christians have you met that they're so proud you don't even want to be a Christian no more? How many Christians have you met? Let me just, I just want to be clear. How many Christians have you met that they are so proud that you, 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 like, I remember I did a Bible study one time. I was like, you know, and I did that whole spiritual but not religious. I was like, you know, because some people say they're spiritual but not religious. They were like, oh, I do that. Is that wrong? Because that's what I do. Because I don't like saying I'm Christian. Because some of the Christians I know are the most proud people I know. You know why? Even in their salvation, they live under the law. They relate to God through rule keeping. And they are proud. And then we have this morgue, this spiritual morgue in our churches of depression. Deep depression. Deep fears. 
where you could never talk honestly about who you are. You can never be open. And when you hear the word authentic, it is a foreign word to you. Because you couldn't imagine being accepted. You couldn't imagine grace being that good. You couldn't imagine a God that has such a deep sense of unconditional love. You couldn't imagine it. So because you can't imagine it, and it could be because your dad, could be because of your mom, could have been because of your church, but because of whatever reason, you can't imagine a God that will love you even in the middle of your sin. So what you have to do is you have to privatize your Christian life. And we live with this subtle depression. Pride or depression is the only place that we'll end up And so, this is where he takes us. Verse 22. He says, but the fruit, remember that word, fruit? But the fruit of the Spirit, the word fruit there, product, outcome. The fruit of the Spirit, not what I do. Not what I do. What is being done in me? What's being done in me and through me? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. The word forbearance is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things on your list, all those things that you've thought of and said, mm, that, I, should, I need to become a more patient person this year. It is not by our strength and our effort. It is by our dependence And so he will produce it from us and through us. And we will see the evidence of it. And we will say, oh God, it's only you. Only reason why I'm patient is because of you, God. I can't, I just can't stand these people, God. And the way that we end up seeing fruit is by first confessing and saying, I can't. And then he steps in and says, well, I can. And what happens is you give him the glory for what you became. And so what happens is the proud people say, look what I did. But when we see Christians who have become humble because they see the fruit of the spirit, they constantly say, look what he did. And it's not that false humility. We all got that, right? We got that, we got that thing down. Not that false humility where you always say blessed and you point up in the air. It's like, mm-mm, no, not, <laughs> not talking about that. I'm saying the real deep sense that apart from him, you can do nothing. A real sense of identity that if I am out of sight of the presence of God, I'm useless in terms of seeing fruit in my life. So he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the Spirit of God just works. And so in verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in rhythm with the spiritual life. And so it's reading my word, and it's praying, and it's staying in fellowship, and it's telling people about my, my relationship with God. It's sharing my faith. And then it's reading my word and praying and staying in fellowship. And you just keep doing those basic steps of the faith. You keep doing those basic things. You just keep in step, meaning keep in step basically means do the things that you you believe God is calling you to do, but don't do them in your own strength. Always do it with a sense of dependence. Even in reading your Bible, if you read the Bible and you memorize all the Bible, but you're not doing it for the sense of worship and reverence, but you're doing it for the sense of knowledge and strength, you'll be that person I'm talking about. I'm talking about a humility that he creates because you see him working in and through you. 
Oh, just imagine if Jesus lived on earth now and he decided to live with you. What would you ask him right now? What would you ask him to do? How would you ask him to work? How would you, how would you just plead with him to live? What would you ask if he was right there? I mean, just, he's right there right now. I mean, his presence is right near. Jesus, the Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth is right there. He's like, oh, you're right there, Jesus. What would you say? How would you relate to him? How would you talk? I believe you'd lean on him. And you would trust him. And if he didn't do the things that you wanted him to do, you would say, well, you're right here. So being that you're here, I still trust you. Even though I don't see you working, you're here. I mean, you're, you're right here. So you're not going anywhere. I mean, it's, it's hard when somebody like doesn't agree with you and they divorce you, right? But when you have a promise that says, I'll never leave, it means the relationship must be deeper than that. It must be based on something richer. And so he's right there. And what if the presence of the Holy Spirit is right there and we're allowed to just abide and be with him and know him and build this friendship? And so the last thing I want you to see in this series, application-wise, is that we have to accept our new identity. Our new identity in Christ. That is what is happening for our people who are getting baptized today. They are identifying with Jesus Christ for the first time publicly. Just like a marriage, you may have had a relationship and people may not have known about it, but you invite everybody you know to say, hey, listen, I am now being public and upfront. I'm in love with this person. I just love them so much that, and when you see me, you see them. (laughs) Because that's the nature of a marriage. It's one flesh, and so we identify them. That's why we give them a new last name. If it's a woman. But in, in, in Christ, it felt like I just needed to say that. But, um, but, you know, in Christ, we do baptism because we now say you're related. You're identified. And when you see them. So it's, it's, it's taking that identity in Christ. You know, we use this analogy throughout the entire series of saying that all, we said all people are in Adam. As a position, they are in Adam. And we said everybody is in Adam. We, I said my mom is in Adam. My mom's coming here next week, praise God. But my mom is in Adam. She is a sinner. Mother Teresa is a sinner. Martin Luther King was a sinner. Our president, we're, we're sinners. We have a problem. And because we have this sin problem, we need help getting out. And so when we believe In the Lord Jesus Christ, we go from being in Adam to being in Christ. But our greatest problem, once we are in Christ, it is very much capable, we're very capable of being positionally in Christ, having the power of Christ, but living a life like we're in Adam. Though we've been placed in a position of power, we can live out a life of weakness. And so you will say, Okay, how, James, how? How do I do this then? Just, do I just wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, what do I do? What do I say? What's the trick? Because we have a, we, we're rule keepers. You know, we have this thing. We feel like we got to do it. And this is the problem. I don't really have a, another answer than relationship. 
You see, it, because it is a relationship. And then, so then you say, well, how do I build a good relationship? Well, don't you talk to people? Don't you just stay around them? Don't you connect to them? If they wrote you a letter, wouldn't you read it? If you were in love, wouldn't you sing? It's a relationship. And you say, but I got all these issues. Well, this is the crazy thing. The more that you abide, the more you'll see fruit. The more you stay in him, the more some of those things will slowly erode away. There are believers in here that can tell you some things about things that have slowly eroded away in their life, not because of their strength and their effort, because they've been abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. So my sisters, I was never a good dishwasher growing up, probably because I played football. I was the youngest, so I was lazy. And... Um, my sisters taught me something when I washed dishes. When I washed the dishes, I would wash, and you know, there would be like some caked up oatmeal or some like food that was just really hard. And so I would sit there and go, ooh, I'll get that scrub, and I'll be there. And you know, I feel like I'm really strong, so I just, come on, get that stuff off. And I get, I put, pour the soap on for like an hour and just, ah. And then my sister would come and be like, what you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm working this thing off. She's like, no, no, come here, stop. Take the dish, put it in the sink, and let it soak. And then we're going to wake up in the morning. And best believe, well, I'd wake up in the morning, and she'd be like, look, boop. I'm like, oh, my God. I was doing all that for hours, and it came off so easily just by being in the water. And I'm telling you, all your efforts and all your strength are nothing like abiding in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The more that you will abide, you will see, I guarantee you, call me on it, I guarantee you, the more you live a life of abiding in Christ, and the more you live a life of being in his presence, you will slowly see those things that so easily tangle you up you will slowly see them erode away. It will take your effort, but it's always because of his power. Yeah. It's always because of his power. Well, here we have a series that comes to a close, but the series never ends because we're always in this war and the spirit is always in conflict. But we're going to get ready to sing and then we're going to have our baptisms. But I wonder... If you in any way felt the Spirit of God speaking to your heart of something related to you, I'd, I'd encourage you to do this as we sing. The song will say this, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. In other words, make your home here. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you already, but it's really about, really the words should say, I want to make my home with you. I want to I feel welcome around you. Oh, you're welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence. Make me more aware of your presence, God. Make me more dependent on your presence, God. Don't, no, 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 don't let me walk out of here and try to just break the habit of pornography in my own strength. Oh, oh God, there are people I keep hanging around and I just, I find myself tangled up in their web. But don't let me try to break my relationship with some of those people in my own strength. Things I think and things I say and things I'm doing. Don't let me do it in my own strength. Let me become more aware of you in my life. 
I don't want to know you, but live like I don't know you. I don't want to have the risen Savior in my relationship. I don't want to have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and live like it's not even there. Like the Spirit of God is not there. Don't you want to live a victorious life? A powerful life? A life where you're seeing fruit just born all throughout your life. You long for it because God made you for it. And I long for it for you as well. And it will come through your humility and your dependence. And I pray that you are just daily. And so today, you may not know Christ and today can be a first step of knowing Him. Or two, today can be a day. Some of you have come out of churches where you heard that being filled with the Holy Spirit, you had to speak in tongues. Look, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that the evidence of it is that you're a loving person. Bottom line, if you speak in tongues but you're not a loving person, you're missing the point. If you don't know how to love people in English, it doesn't matter. So the point of the Holy Spirit in your life is we see love coming from you. And you can't be a loving person on your own. So this is, this, is what I would, this is what I would encourage you to do. Today, as we sing this song, sing it to the Lord. Don't look around. Don't, don't, don't think about what other people are doing. Don't try to get your tunes up right. You, you sound okay. Let's not try to be a chorus. Let's try to be worshipers. Let's be people who are authentically saying, I want to live like you're really there. I want to stop living like you're not there. I never, I've never seen God the Father. I've never seen God the Son. But I trust that the God, God the Father is the creator. I trust that Jesus died on the cross. I trust that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and is powerful. And I'm going to start living in step with the Spirit. Let today be a first step as you not just sing this song, proclaim it. Proclaim it. Could we stand? And I'd ask that you all would just, even as you worship, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. Feel the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. We long to become more aware of you. You convict us of sin. You are real. You are a person. And we long, we long, God, to live with you and walk with you and keep in step with you. We don't want to live the Christian life in our own strength. And if there is someone who says, I'm not a Christian, but man, I love seeing what Christ can do in a person's life. I offer you today the way of salvation through Christ that you might know Him more. That you might know Him more. But I pray for anyone who is naming the name of Christ that today you would stop all your rules and start to relate. That you'd put down your rule book and start talking to Him. Stop acting like you're so strong. And start submitting to the strong one. Start living like he's there. Start living like he's there. Start living like he's powerful. 
He can control your mouth and your mind. And it will take time to become the person you want to be. But if you will take a step of dependence, he'll meet you right there. He'll meet you right there. He'll meet you right there. In submission, in dependence, in humility. As we sing, let's take those steps of dependence in him. Amen.